The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter... Hello. We are Two Generations Geek. This is episode 38, Star Trek Beyond. What do we think about the third film in the J.J. Abrams' Kelvinverse? Let's find out. But first, remember you can contact us online and find handy links to all of our episodes at generationsgeek.com. Now, on with the show. Star Trek Beyond. Before we leap into it, perhaps a quick recap of how we felt about the first two films. So, the first one, Star Trek. I really liked the first one. I remember the when we went to see it in the movie theater, like the Thursday night before it came out. Mm-hmm. And I was just like so happy to be seeing Star Trek on the big screen and to have that revived. Obviously, it wasn't at all the same as <laughs> any other Star Trek we've ever seen, but I liked it, and I can I can talk along with the lines now. I've watched it enough that when it happens, I just, I know. And when people are talking about it, they're like, you know when Chris says that thing? And then I'm like, oh, and I could say it in exactly the same intonation and as Chris Pine. Didn't it come out in 2009? Yeah. It's so, been a while. Yeah. Isn't that weird? So that's before we started doing... The podcast, so we didn't do a show yeah. specifically on yeah. on that one. In two thousand nine, I was in like the sixth grade. I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, I thought it was a really fun ride. I thought that the script really didn't make a whole lot of sense, and there was it <laughs> relied way too much on just astronomical coincidences. But but it was fun, and the last couple of next generation cast movies had not been fun, and I thought it was a great re-energizing, pardon the pun, of the franchise. Well, and it dragged for a, for a so new many generation. more new fans yeah. into the franchise, right? So there's new fans who are fans who just like the new movies, and that's fine, that's fantastic. And then there are fans who were introduced to Star Trek through the new movies, and then have gone back and watched TOS, and watched Voyager, yeah. and watched DS9, and now... Everybody knows what Star Trek. I don't know. It's just surprising. Yeah. Now, when you say Star Trek, it's like it's like immediately a click in somebody's head, and they know. Yeah. And they know the names of the crew. They know Kirk and Spock and Uhura. Yeah, people like, who previously would have just maybe rolled their eyes at it now have a of a have a familiarity with it. Well, uh, because uh, we're taking over the world. J.J. Abrams. Okay, then Star Trek Into Darkness, the second film. Mm-hmm. That one I think we did a show on. Did we? I don't remember. Anyway, so <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness. I liked. I really liked Into Darkness. I I don't know if I liked it as much as the first one, but um, even though they whitewashed him, I love Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. I think he's a fantastic actor, even though obviously it would have been better to have somebody a little bit less pale. <laughs> well, I think that it was just pointless having it be Khan. Well, there's that in too. The, in the bigger picture. I just... He could have just been some generic bad guy. You're and, right. And just stay John Harrison. Benedict Cumberbatch goodness yeah, to that character. Completely valid. Without I'm just, the baggage of the... Uh, I'm like in love with the idea of Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. <laughs> which is like terrible, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. 
Well, he is a fabulous actor. I uh, I did not like Star Trek Into Darkness. It had many of the same problems that the first one did, but but it wasn't fun, and uh, because it was a particularly grim story, the way they approached it, it was very contemporary, grim, sort of terrorist kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it definitely was a very, like, kind and, of more of a commentary on our career. It yeah. wasn't very, in that way, it wasn't very Star Trek, because it's supposed to be, like, um, like this optimistic future, right? But well, they did it in a way that made it seem like the future was, like, the same as what we're dealing with now. I'm not inherently against darker takes on Star Trek. Deep Space Nine was a much grittier version of Star Trek. Uh, yeah, Deep Space Nine was, like, um, the, the Holocaust. And there's been episodes of the various series that are quite dark. There was the episode of Next Gen that was, I think it might have been called Conspiracy, about the weird alien bug things that invaded people's bodies and... Oh, God. You know, and that got pretty grim. So I, I think that you can tell grim stories within the Star Trek franchise and have it work, but Into Darkness didn't work for me because there were all these, uh, there were a lot of plot holes and, and problems, and the way that they tried to piggyback onto certain plot elements of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, it was kind of like cheating. They were trying to get some of the same emotional impact that Star Trek II had, without really doing the work, but instead just referencing an emotional scene from a previous yeah. film. Yeah, well, and, and the so thing... And so it didn't come together for me. My thing with that movie is, like, the first scene where Khan shows up and is talking to... I don't, I don't remember the, the man's name, but his daughter is dying. And he's like, I can save her. In that scene, he does the same thing they did with, with Kirk at the end, where he takes some of his blood, because he's, like, special, like... Mm -hmm. Uh, warrior man um, and he saves her and I don't know how spacey I am but I didn't realize that that was Khan's butt at the beginning until like I had seen the movie at least four or five times and still somebody had to tell me <laughs> somebody had to tell me that that was Khan's butt and then I, but it was like if I had known that from the beginning it it would have had a lot less emotional impact Right? So, like, for me, it's like I tricked myself into believing that it was a better movie than it was just because I missed a cue that J.J. gave us. Yeah, right? well, and that plot point, along with the uh, hyped-up super fancy pants transporter that they were working with, uh, both of those plot points were then completely ignored in Star Trek Beyond because they both... Uh, if you have transporters <laughs> that are that effective, you could just beam all over the place. You'd hardly need the ships. And then if everyone could be saved from death just by giving a shot, you, the you thing lose is, they haven't of... they haven't really confirmed the distance like between these planets in the new verse, right? Like in the old in TOS, you know that there's some decent distance between Earth and Kronos, but then. You know, when Vulcan is being destroyed, it's like the, the ships are there in five minutes. They go to warp and they're there in, like, 45 seconds. So you can't tell that there's enough distance yeah. for the transporters not to work that's, that far. That's that's a problem that I think J.J. Abrams has. Uh, he, he had some of that same issues in The Force Awakens, that uh, in order to just have brisk storytelling, it moves from planet to planet in a way that doesn't give a sense of, of time. And I think there's ways you can do that without taking up a lot of time. 
to give that sense of, of distance, but yeah, that, that didn't really work so well in uh, Into Darkness. They should bring in the Wachowskis for the fourth movie and they can fix everything. <laughs> uh, It'll be like Sensate in Space. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole other show. Now we get into Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. What was your initial reaction? I don't I don't have words. Star Trek, <laughs> it shocked me how different it was from the first two films while still being able to keep up the feeling um, that J.J. has kind of put into the modern Star Trek movies, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. also, it really felt like an original series episode to me. It had so, the, yeah. the, the modern giant summer blockbuster exactly. elements yeah. that you yeah. expect these days. But infused in there was a lot more stuff that seemed to touch upon what classic fans, shall we say, what we expect in a Star Trek movie. Exactly. You have you have them crash landing, like they're stranded on an alien planet, okay? You have strange alien woman, okay? <laughs> uh, who at least was not, you know, objectified as much as probably Gene Roddenberry would have liked. But that's okay. <laughs> we forgive you, Gene, mostly. You have Spock and McCoy by themselves, which leads into, like, the inevitable banter. Yeah, my, my initial reaction was, uh, it was back to that first film, that it was a really fun ride. The, uh, the character arcs and plot lines were more organized than in the first film. I think there were still issues, but... It was a little bit more cohesive than the first film, but still fun. Like, I really enjoyed it. Star Trek Beyond is what J.J. Trek should have been. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think that we owe a big tip of the hat to Simon Pegg for his work on, on the script. Simon Pegg is a gift. Because he, he knows how to tell a fun story, and I think it really shows in this, uh, Absolutely. In this version. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's step back. Why don't we kind of move through the film in order. So it okay. opens up with a fun little scene with Kirk having a, uh, a bad uh, attempt at diplomacy with some aliens. That's like a little fun joke because they do a thing with perspective where they look like they're giant, horrible monsters, and then it turns out that they're actually very tiny. And it's kind of a cheap joke, but it... But, but he rips his shirt. But it's fun. <laughs> it's like, I ripped my shirt again. But then from there... We find out it's three years into the five-year mission, which in some ways was kind of a strange choice because both the the first one like set up the mission and everyone expected that Into Darkness was going to be like, okay, this is the start of the mission. And then instead Into Darkness was just kind of nebulous about how it related <laughs> to a mission. And then now we get to the third film and three years, we're three years into the mission. So it seemed kind of odd, but... Uh, what was really odd for I mean, me, maybe, maybe Into Darkness was like 1.5 years in, you know? And it well, it didn't even seem like they were on the five-year mission. Who knows? It, it was kind of yeah, like I say, it was nebulous. So then they start out, and Kirk is kind of down in the dumps, and it's kind of similar actually to the way Kirk was feeling in Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, but in that one, it's because he was it was he was having a significant birthday coming up, and they use that in 
this one that Kirk is coming up on a birthday, but he's kind of, he's plodding through the quarters of the Enterprise and he's kind of like bummed. It's like, oh, this mission, it's just, you know, it's the same thing, but it's very episodic. It was a little joke, at, you know, about a TV show that he referred to the five-year mission as being episodic. And at first I was sitting there going, oh, he's too young for this to be mopey like this. But then they pulled it back because then you find out that it's not that his birthday, it's not his own age per se. It gets revealed that he's turning the age of his father. He is now older than when he's, his... Yeah, he's one year older than, than when, when his father died. And so I was like, oh, well, that works. Obviously, that would give someone pause uh, when you've lost a parent and now you're older than your parent ever was. So I was like, oh, that works. See, that was some nice storytelling. And so they still got an echo. I'm, I, I have mixed feelings about when they do these echoes off what happened in the original cast films, and especially when they have them happen in the same number. But that was a clever way to play off the originals, but put a new twist on it. Then they're at the at the Yorktown, the big space station, <laughs> which looks fabulous on Yorktown screen. Yorktown is where I'm living in the future. But but really, when you think about it, it's just like nonsense. It's so it's so huge. It's so overdone. I mean that it has tunnels through it that <laughs> gargantuan starships can travel through. It just seems ridiculous. But it looks it looks so fun and fabulous. It's an amazing visual treat. <laughs> so I'm willing to kind of roll my eyes at the excesses of uh, of CGI that uh, <laughs> allows such uh, monstrosities. But uh, but it looks cool. And yeah, who wouldn't want to live there? I mean, come on, it's amazing. Move in next door to Sulu's husband. Uh huh. Babysit their daughter. This that's a good thing to bring up because. Because there was, George is salty. There was, yeah, they, they decided to make Sulu gay as a tip of the hat to George Takei. But since George came out, he's always been adamant that Sulu was straight. And so when the new guys tried to give a little tip of the hat to George, instead of liking it, he got upset because he was like, no, 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 Sulu is straight. Just because I'm gay doesn't mean the character I play is gay. And on the one hand, I get that. I, I know, I understand why, why Takei has always been very forceful about the fact that Sulu, that his Sulu was straight. But I think what he's not uh, putting into his decision-making process <laughs> is acknowledging that this is an alternate timeline it's like the only thing anyone's ever disagreed with George Takei about. Yeah, I think it was a nice, inclusive thing to do. I agree with some of the comments. I think it was Simon Pegg who said this when he was asked about the controversy about George Takei being upset about it. We wanted to be inclusive, and if we had just created some new secondary character to be the gay character that it may have come across as much more sort of a token. Uh, that person wouldn't have had a lot of time on screen. And so by revealing that one of the main characters is gay, 
is a much stronger statement of inclusivity and gives that person more screen time. However, one thing I think where they dropped the ball, it was so understated. I think that we could have gotten a little bit more. I mean, you don't want to really milk it too much and make it a big deal because it's just kind of a side note. I mean, that's kind of the point is that it doesn't make any difference that he's gay. This is the future. People are more accepting. But it was so in the background, I would have liked to have heard Sulu uh, at some point make some sort of, you know, more of a comment about his daughter or his husband or something. It was, it was, it was like they were uh, a little afraid of the controversy that it could have. Because I even read that there had been a kiss when they, they first saw kiss. each other and they edited it. So, I mean... It's it's very easy to infer that this has to be his significant other, and this is their adoptive daughter. But, I mean, the way it plays, it's almost could have just been like, this is my best friend, and this is my goddaughter, almost, you know? He has a picture of his daughter next to um, his controls, and then also I read that the, the person who's playing his husband is actually a producer. For some, there was some problem when the actor who was supposed to play his husband, like, wasn't there. And they were like, well, just get in there, dude. And he was like, uh, and so, yeah, that's just some producer. Um, but then when I noticed the second time I went and saw it, Sulu's husband is actually holding a plush version of the Enterprise. Like get his daughter. out. No, no, I'm dead serious. And it shows up two times. The first time when he runs to greet them, and the second time when he's holding his daughter as, like, all the stuff is going uh -huh. down up yeah. with the weapon. He's holding his daughter, and she's holding the stuffed Enterprise. Wow, that is so I know. cool. I, I know. I did not notice that. But, even though I have those little quibbles, I think it's fabulous. I'm glad that they did it. It's a nice element to have. Uh, especially uh, for the franchise, which uh, in the filmed versions has uh, taken some grief over the years. Star Trek is supposed to be about inclusivity. And uh, their record with portraying characters uh, outside of traditional heterosexual stuff has been pretty... Pretty grim, pretty sloppy. Yeah. Um, Star Trek has been almost on point with the race stuff, and soon it'll be almost on point <laughs> with the queer stuff. We're getting there. So Kirk's being mopey. He's trying to get promoted to a vice admiral and take over the Yorktown because he doesn't know if he wants to be on the ship. Things are going wrong. Spock and Ahura have broken up, and kind of, kind almost, of in a, in a you know very detached and Vulcan They're way. They're having that makes problems. It very uh, strange, and so there's these various things going on. They they you know doing a good job of uh, having some you know character elements that are in the background of the of the uh, actual plot of the film. Um, a woman shows up claiming to be a survivor of some sort of attack. So they launch a rescue mission, uh, which then goes horribly awry because she was working for the bad guy. And then they play off the original Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, where the Enterprise was destroyed. And now the Enterprise gets destroyed in a uh, horrific and, uh, and rather spectacular looking attack. Here's my only problem with that. Mm -hmm. Destroy the Enterprise. Fine. I don't care. I mean, I do care. But... <laughs> To put that in the trailers for the movie took away any, like, almost any sort of emotional reaction that you could have had during the movie. Because there could have been, like, the whole, oh, no, they can't destroy it yet, it's only the third movie, like, 
there's no way they're still following the line of the original movies. And I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to draw in an audience who's like, well, it's another Star Trek movie, you know, they're going to fight some bad guys and then come out of it, be just fine. And in destroying the Enterprise, it's kind of a surprise factor. It's like, oh, what are they going to do now? Like, they're stranded. And it's like, but now I don't care when the Enterprise breaks up on screen and plummets like it to its premature death. They were just short of destroying it in uh, Into Darkness. Yeah, and Into Darkness and it gets like like rebuilt from the ground up, basically. It gets really hammered, and, and so, yeah, they kind of have gone to that well a little bit too often and too quickly. Uh, but, um, and yeah, I guess they could have tried to hold it back as a surprise, but I really think they were trying to appeal to that big summer blockbuster action adventure audience trying to reach out past the core Trek fans. So, yeah, it's kind of debatable whether that was the right way to go or not. But once they do destroy the Enterprise and get them down on the ground on the planet, they do a lot of fun stuff. And, of course, one of the most fun things that they do is they introduce a character by the name of Jayla. Do you want to talk about Jayla for a little while? Jayla is my daughter. <laughs> um, I love her. I love that she she isn't fluent in English. I love that she completely 100% saves Scotty, even though Scotty acts like he's like, oh yeah, like we got him. <laughs> <laughs> She's like independent and strong and I don't I don't know, it's just so great. I so she didn't enjoyed. take off her clothes for no reason in the middle of the movie. That, well, that's what I was going to say. All of her well, clothes that's... stayed firmly put on her body and that... her butt firmly in the captain's chair. <laughs> the uh, yeah, that was one thing I wanted to mention is you know take that character in counterpoint to the Carol Marcus character of Into Darkness. Carol Marcus was in some ways a strong, intelligent character. But in other ways, you know, she was having all the daddy issues, and then there was the uh, embarrassingly gratuitous change clothing I scene. I told you to turn around. <clears throat> that, um, <laughs> yeah. There were some people that like, where's Carol Marcus? Why isn't she in this film? And It's like, because like, well, everyone hated her. Well, but even staying in-universe, why would she be? True. She wasn't a crew member. She just ended up on the Enterprise out of circumstance. She's like on Earth trying to fix her father's mistakes. Yeah, and and even if she's they... like also oh, she's trying to destroy that scary uh, ship. And even if they were thinking about in this timeline having there something more develop between Carol Marcus and Kirk, you know, three years has gone past. More than enough time for Kirk to dump her. He's not a he's not a committed man. He's a free spirit. So, so yeah, the, the the Jayla character was just a breath of fresh air because even Uhura, who is super cool in the new movies, uh -huh. by introducing the relationship with Spock, sometimes her screen time is taken up by relationship things. Yeah, I, I'm not inherently against the Spock Uhura thing. I think that is a nice twist. There's at least one scene in the original series with Uhura singing and goofing around with Spock that would be completely easy to interpret as flirtation. And so I think... I remember that. I forgot about I, that. <laughs> I, I think that having them in an alternate timeline uh, be a couple makes perfect sense. But anyway, 
Yeah, Jayla also, just the takes people care who don't under, the people who don't understand Spock and Uhura's relationship haven't read like the novels that came out, right? Because if you read the Starfleet Academy novels, the new ones, mm-hmm. their relationship is much more of like a, a stronger foundation that seems a little bit less like sudden than it did. Yeah, yeah and you, yeah, you don't have the time to to get to that kind of stuff in a uh, Star Trek film. Yeah, you can't have dramatic flashbacks where Uhura remembers, like, studying every day with Spock and, like, yeah. looking out well, of the window and, dramatically. And there's just, there's just the, yeah, the screen time kind of thing. And, and you, you uh, when you have a large ensemble cast, the more you give to any one character just comes away from the other characters. And so it's a balancing act. And so you do get this compressed storytelling that sometimes doesn't have the, the depth that you would like you would like that that's why star trek when you have a large cast like that's that's why it lends itself to a, t- a television series because then you get the time to develop those characters yeah yeah you can have a nohura flashback episode <laughs> after they introduce jayla we really get into action adventure mode because at that point uh, a bunch of the crew's been captured action by adventure the bad low guy. key fast and furious mode yes and and so now there has to be rescues and, which i forgive justin lynn and, for uh, okay. and 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 a motorcycles involved it is a little strange that they find a motorcycle on the spaceship that's I feel like it was more the... something that, like, Jayla found somewhere yeah. and then just stuck it there. I don't know. It's like a planet's full of, like, old trash. It's like there's going to yeah. be something with two wheels somewhere. It's, it was a little a little forced, perhaps, but 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 it was fun. And it and it fits the Kirk character in general or and even just as established in the J.J. films because he was riding a motorcycle in the first film. One thing that I liked... So Jayla shows them to this ship, the Franklin, and the design of the ship is very similar to the early Starfleet ships that were portrayed in the Enterprise TV series. Well, actually, like pre-Starfleet ships in the Enterprise series. And so that was a nice tip of the hat to the larger franchise. And so we start getting, we start seeing more and more of the bad guy this apparent extraterrestrial lizard lizard kind of uh, bad guy. Here's what else I'm salty about. In that trailer, they knew he looked like a Cardassian. They knew I would be tricked. <laughs> Justin Lin was like Ella Pearson. She's going to think, and then she'll be uh, wrong. So I, I think he looked different enough from a Cardassian. I, that that didn't bother like a me. new like a reimagined Cardassian for the new universe. Ah, I'm just okay, salty. Okay. Where am I? What we've seen? We've seen Vulcans. And we've seen Klingons. I want a resurgence of, <laughs> like, already confirmed aliens. It suffers a little bit from the same thing that afflicts almost every big, giant action movie, is that, particularly at first, you don't really understand what the motivation is. It's just the sort of mad bad guy. Mad as in crazy and angry. He's just like the crazy, angry bad guy that wants to destroy everything. Uh, eventually, more backstory gets revealed. But when you first meet him, he's kind of just the one-note character. I'm going to destroy everything because reasons. My favorite part is that uh, when they were writing the movie, they were like, okay, so Kirk needs to hide the device somewhere 
where the villains won't think to look. And then they're like, let's have an alien whose head opens and he can just put it in there and then she'll close her head. <laughs> that was a little odd. It didn't it didn't bother me so much, but I was just like, that's pretty funny. Like I wanna imagine like Simon Pegg, like, okay, her head opens, alright. And Kirk just happens to run into her during the destruction of the Enterprise. How many uh, a thousand crew members or whatever are there, but he conveniently runs into the Yeah, I don't remember her name. Thing. He calls her by name. I don't know. All I know is her head opens up. <laughs> well, it's more like it's not like inside her skull, but she has some sorts of... That's debatable. There was goo in there. Was the... <laughs> There was goo? When he took out the thing, there was like goo. I didn't notice Like goo. from her head, like on it. <laughs> like it's like stretch it like a string, like attached to her head and then to the thing I, he was pulling I it didn't... out. I didn't notice that. I've only the second seen it time the I once. saw it, you some saw girl it. in the yeah. theater went, "Ew!" <laughs> and I was Why like, "Same." <laughs> Honestly, like, it's like that's right. her brain falling out. <laughs> that's why she gave it up because her brain was being squished by this thing that Kirk just shoved in her head. I just need you to hold this in there for me. She's like, "Okay, Captain. He's a higher rank than me. Do what he says." Um. So, there's all sorts of big, explodey action on the uh, planet. We get to see some great fight scenes with Jayla and that just, you know, further uh, develops her character. She's been alone on this planet and has survived by being a strong solo actor. <laughs> and a now strong, she... independent woman! Yeah, and now she's in a position where it serves her to become more of a team player. And it's uh, it takes a little while to convince her. Scotty, she has a special thing with Scotty since she met him first, and he's like saying, "Oh my no, gosh, let's... their relationship is so perfect." If in the next movie they are like dating, I'm gonna be actually like really upset because they're that would ruin like it. that would ruin. I don't know if it's like just like platonic or if it's like almost father daughter or like sibling or like what it is, but I love it. And please don't take that away from me. <laughs> so. Crawl takes off, they realize that he's going to attack the Yorktown, and I, this is one point, I touched on this earlier, and I can't decide if it was brilliantly subtle or horribly underplayed, because there's a shot where you see Sulu's reaction, because his partner and daughter are on the station. But part of me thinks it's brilliantly subtle, because Sulu is being a professional. He's on the bridge, and he's not going to, like, lose it or express verbally his concern he's going to stay focused on the mission on the one hand it's like oh well that was done really really well on the other hand i almost would have liked a scene that had more emotion what do you think you saw it twice so maybe i did you, see it twice maybe you noticed something more i feel like the scene where they actually take off in jayla's ship mm -hmm. and he's like not afraid and just like determined they go off that cliff and it isn't until like they're like five feet from hitting the ground <laughs> yeah. but he's just there and he's like everyone else is like terrified and he's just like you kidding me sir boom like let's go and yeah. he's just ready he's like i'm gonna catch <laughs> that lizard and i'm gonna put him <laughs> back where he belongs in space you can see the actor it informs his performance but uh, yeah i still can't quite decide if i wanted more or not but anyway then it turns into a <laughs> you know kind of a ridiculously over the top but 
visually exciting and wild chase scene because Yorktown is so ridiculously gargantuan ships the size of the Franklin and and crawls ship and that it's like they're having a chase scene through the tunnels <laughs> inside the station it's it's really I mean, I don't know why Crazy. like they wouldn't have a spaceship in that size. If you want to dock spaceships, like it has to be that size, right? Like But just the Like DS9 didn't have like wasn't like enclosed in like a globe, but it was like that size and spaceships docked on the outside. Yeah, but the idea of having tunnels big enough for ships running throughout the interior of the station with water features above them. I mean, it's it's just it was nice. It's so you can crazy. see the ships coming in. It's, it's, it's like it's... Jake and Nog would go down like the river and like watch <laughs> the ships come in. Like Jake and Nog would dare each other to jump in. <laughs> but then, amongst all this action adventure, we start realizing that there's much more to the bad guy than we realized. Because of that creepy video. Because there's a creepy video. Because Uhura and her amazing ears notices that a voice sounds familiar. And it's eventually revealed that uh, the bad guy is, in fact, a Starfleet officer that was lost in the past and has used alien technology to extend his life, and it's transformed him into, uh, a, I, I, I guess we assume, uh, the appearance of the aliens who developed the technology in the first place. And he's just so bitter, feeling over the, the century he's convinced himself that they were purposefully abandoned by Federation and now everyone must pay. So he's still just a crazy bad guy, but there's a little bit more to it than than before. Uh, and he's got a horrible biogenic weapon that he's going to release and, and destroy everyone everywhere or something. Everyone in Yorktown. So that just leads to another big chase scene between Kirk and him. One thing it brings up especially within the Star Trek context, do we want our villains to be redeemable or not? There's a moment where it seems as though Kirk has gotten through to him, but then he just goes ahead and tries to kill everyone again. I saw this person online saying, what if the guy had released the weapon, but then Kirk got through to him and he sacrificed himself to stop it. And that would have been interesting, but I think the assumption, the underlying assumption is that because of Star Trek and its ideals, perhaps bad guys should be redeemable. But I thought of Khan, the original Khan. Yeah. If we go back to the original series, when Kirk first encountered Khan, he kind of thought that maybe Khan was redeemable in some way, and so instead of turning him over to Starfleet or Federation authorities, they just released him and his followers onto a planet of their own. But then that comes back to bite them, because then in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, now Khan has become, apparently, the irredeemable bad guy, and just fights to the death. So I don't think you necessarily always have to have a redeemable vi villain to fit into the overall concept of Star Trek, but this is it a It would be weakness. nice to have a redeemable because yeah. what we've had Nero, who was insane. I, yeah, and, and also there's the thing that they almost always seem to be mad in some way. That's like they've been driven... Angry or crazy, because both... <laughs> 
both. But I mean, and and so that's kind of a thing. It's like if these people have been driven to these extremes or they've kind of lost their grip, then, then they can't be redeemable. Then, right? well, no, but I then then it gets to the point where if they're clearly have been driven sort of clinically insane. <laughs> then it would be even more important for the good guys to try to save the person instead of just killing the person. But this is where you get into trouble with the blockbuster film mentality because very often in giant summer action-adventure films, uh, or even going back decades into, like, say, the James Bond series or something, it's like usually the bad guy often is sort of megalomaniacal and crazy and is presented as someone that you can't reason with, you can't help, that they just have to be killed. And it's a it's a weakness of the format that's now been grafted over the years more predominantly into the Star Trek in the film franchise. And so I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm kind of mixed about it. It would have been kind of cool if he had released the weapon and then realized, I've made a horrible mistake, and then he just jumped into the thing himself to get blown out into space and save everyone. Here's here's what we need. We need either a calm female villain, or that doesn't that a calm female villain who doesn't die or get frozen at the end of the movie, right? <laughs> um, and then we need uh we need we need Merle. We need literally Merle from The Walking Dead. <laughs> Literally and just still we... looking like dirty, like he's in the apocalypse and not in futuristic clothes, just like with a gun, just like. Because he redeemed himself before he died. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't just a Star Trek issue, it's a big action-adventure movie issue. We need, we need to, like a Borg Queen. Okay, I feel like if you, if you, you took, villains. if you took the Borg Queen and like took her away from like her metal body and like put her in like a wheelchair just like on earth like watching children play she'd be like okay <laughs> you know she'd be like all right <laughs> I, don't even, I, I i have no idea where you're going with this she's i'm saying that the borg queen is redeemable <laughs> if you like if you like oh, separated her from wow. the hive and she was just like in like like but a I'm hospital st- robe in a wheelchair on watching Earth. Watching children play. Yeah. The like Borg watching, Queen. Yeah, like looking out on a children's playground from like her <laughs> hospital room. She'd be like, all right. Uh, <laughs> or like seeing a little kid like play with a puppy. Like she'd be like, okay. <laughs> That's really all she needed was a puppy. All she needs is a puppy. All she wanted was a puppy. <laughs> you can't blame her. Okay, so we've more or less covered the entire plot of the film we get to the end bad guy destroyed yorktown saved kirk realizes sulu's daughter safe the most important part of the movie kirk realizes that he wants to stay on the enterprise spock and uhura wink at each other there's a nice little scene at the end where you get to see some little character bits uh, at this point, perhaps... That party was really... F- you know, wait, we never talked about Spock and McCoy's alone time. Oh. So, yeah, there's a little Spock and McCoy adventure, because when they get into the uh, escape pods, they end up just the two of them. Here's here's the bit that was the best, though. Um, when Spock was talking about Spock Prime. Yes. I was slowly building toward the 
sad elements. The overarching sadness of the movie weighing on all of the Star Trek fans. Yes. They acknowledge the passing of Leonard Nimoy by making the death of Spock Prime part of the story, and it allows them to show amongst Ambassador Spock's personal effects, it turns out that he has a picture of him and, and, and the rest of the crew. Breaking and so, all of our collective hearts. Yes, and so new Spock actually gets to see a picture of the uh, crew from the alternate timeline from what is his, new Spock's, future. So that was heartbreaking. Then, to make everything even worse, is we have the tragic passing of Anton Yelchin. You, you couldn't help but think of that when you were watching Chekhov on screen. And then, of course, they dedicate the movie to him. And so... To him and Leonard. Yeah. And I like the idea, J.J., I believe it was, who announced that they were not going to recast Chekhov. Yeah. That, I'm, yeah, that's... And, and it harkens back to the original cast movies, because in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan... Chekhov is no longer serving on the Enterprise. He's moved on. What I'm hoping, what I'm guessing, is that they will just have that Chekhov has moved off to some other ship or for some other reason. And, and you know, you'll notice the absence of Chekhov from the Enterprise, but I think that is uh, preferable to recasting, which is awkward in the best of circumstances. And yeah. You know, maybe they'll jump forward enough that Jayla will have become a, uh, <laughs> will have already graduated from Starfleet Academy and <laughs> she can take the I mean, seat. how many years did Chekhov do it in? Three? <laughs> I can't remember. He did because in the books he gets to the Academy, he's 14 years old. And yeah. then um, in J.J. Track, he's 17. So, uh, final thoughts. Let's look back. First off, I just think... In comparison to the first two films, for me, this is this is the best. This is my favorite. Uh, things really came together here within the context of these big... I, you know, I wish I could remember. There was one scene in particular where someone did something, and one of the main characters had a reaction shot that I just thought, oh, that is such a contemporary behavior or such a contemporary trope or motif and, and I wasn't thinking that. But necess- you don't remember what scene it was. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it, what it was isn't isn't really that important because the the significance of it is I had that thought, and it wasn't necessarily in a bad way. It was just like this recognition of these are contemporary movies as they should be. They should not be trying to recapture the spirit of a 1960s TV series slavishly. They should not be trying to recapture the original cast movies. You know, it's like, this is 2016. And for good or ill, the language of movies that we have now for action-adventure movies should inform these characters. If I want to see old-school Star Trek, I can always go back and watch the old-school Star Trek. Well, and, and what's so, more important, I think, than trying to, like, make carbon copies, just, like, remakes, really, yeah. is having the same, like, morals and emotions that the original Star Trek Yeah, you've got, those, you've got those larger touchstones that you need to have, but then all, the, all sorts of other things, it, it, it has to be, it's inherently of its time. And let's just imagine it was something that Kirk did. My reaction would have been, it's like, well, there's no way Shatner ever would have done that. But that's fine, because this isn't Shatner. 
It's Chris Pine. It's a different take on the character. It's a contemporary movie. It's an alternate timeline. And so these things are going to be their own movies. And I think that with Star Trek Beyond, it came, they really came into their own. And as nostalgic as some Star Trek fans are, I, I think you really have to kind of try to divorce yourself from those original characters and and enjoy these movies on their own and and try not to demand a level of sameness that would uh, just really be boring <laughs> if they tried to do it that way. Did you have any final reflections on Star Trek Beyond specifically or how it fits into the the franchise? I don't know. I really liked it. I really thought it was like almost the perfect blend of OG Trek was Mm -hmm. And what uh, New Trek has become. And mm -hmm. I think if they continue with those kind of mixtures, mm -hmm. the movies will just get better and better. Yeah. This movie made me ex excited for the next movie in a whole new way. Definitely. At the time we're recording this, we know a little bit about Star Trek Discovery. The return of Star Trek to the small screen. I'm going to be at college, like, crying... And my roommate, who I'm sure is not, like, any kind of nerd, is going to be like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> like, go to bed. I'll be like, I can't. I'm just up for 12 hours straight. Yeah. it's So we know that it's set shortly before the original series, which opens all sorts of possibilities. That like, I'm, I'm, like I'm salivating. I'm so yeah. excited. Like, I'm going to, like, it's going to be and, and on a personal note, our friend Kirsten Beyer, who writes... Fabulous Star Trek Voyager novels is on the writing staff, as everyone knows at this point. I trust her. I trust her like I trusted Simon Pegg with <laughs> Beyond, and I was right, and I'll be right this time, too. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next time for episode 39, Midnight Mac, with special guest New York Times bestselling author David Mack discussing his forthcoming novel, The Midnight Front, his voluminous Star Trek work, and many other geeky things. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts late, late in the night when muggles are sleeping and geeks protect them from zombies and cyborgs. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening. And come, come back, back next, next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny. <laughs>